This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Oru Kayak. They design folding kayaks that can go virtually anywhere, thanks to their lightweight and folding design. Later in the episode, we talked to photographer Gretchen Powers about her upcoming kayak trip with her mom in the Adirondacks of New York. Learn more at www.orukayak.com. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. Confidence is a great thing. Once you've done something and, and become confident in whatever area it is, if you just at least stop and consider all the possibilities from the most pessimistic to think worst case scenario, what could happen here and then make a decision based off, okay, I can do this if I make a few changes. Maybe those few changes will make the difference. Whether something happens, you're injured, killed, who knows what, you know, lost, anything. This is Lisa. A couple of months ago, I received an essay from her in consideration for publication on She Explores. The title, How to Survive Over Confidence, caught my eye, but it was the content that held me. It's an essay that holds more questions than answers. It's filled with anger and grief and bewilderment at the loss of Lisa's dear hiking partner. It's also filled with logic. a a hypothesis of sorts for what went wrong. At its core, the essay asks the questions, how can you explain losing your good friend? And how can you reconcile doing what you love, hiking solo, when hiking solo is what your friend was doing when she died? Lisa wrote that essay looking for answers. She doesn't know the full details of her friend's death, Allegedly, she fell while hiking in a foreign country, but she knows that her friend felt most confident, maybe too confident, in her hiking boots with a pack on. But is it okay for Lisa to still feel confident? About a year ago, She Explores published a podcast episode called Alone on the Trail. It's episode number eight, and it was all about hiking and camping solo. Overall, The episode centered around a theme of encouragement, that it's okay to branch out by yourself and hit the trail. But it's not always that simple. When Lisa sent me her essay, I was reminded of the intricacies of hiking solo, of our various thresholds for risk, of the potential danger on the trail. I knew I had to talk to Lisa. Her essay is published on our episode page, via she-explores.com slash podcast as she sent it to me. I hope you'll give it a read, and I hope that the conversation I have with Lisa clears up some of the questions that may pop into your head as you read. As a heads up, there's some light swearing in this episode. Lisa was in her late 40s when she met Sarah. (laughs) Uh, I turned 50 this February. Now that I'm 50, I'm like, gosh, it's, you know, it's not that bad. Sarah was around the same age, a little older. She had come out from Massachusetts. <laughs> it was one of those meetings. Like, I think most people have met people in their life that just, you know, instantly, these are your people. You just feel an instant connection the minute you start talking to them. And she was just so cool, this little short gal with this huge backpack. I thought, what do you have in there? You know, we're standing in the middle of the trail talking for, it seemed, I don't even know. We lost track of time. 
then we sat down and started eating and exchanging stories about our travels and just, you know, instantly became friends. She was just the kind of person that you knew was, was a really good person and, and cared about you and what you had to say and listened. And, and I got that from so many people too, that have met her. She worked up around us at our ski resort and a lot of my friends got to meet her and she just was that kind of person, just instantly someone you felt so comfortable with and wanted to just hang out with and listen to her stories. She, you know, she had traveled a lot and she was wanting to move out West when I met her. She was in a bad relationship, wanted to get out of there. We didn't talk for quite a while. And then I was in Tahoe doing some, some writing and some filming and staying the winter in there. And, and I got an email from her said she lost my phone number. And I, I must have given her my email address. She lost my phone number. And if I happened to be around Tahoe to give her a call. And so I had been in Tahoe three months and so had she, we, we were there about the same time. And so, oh, this is perfect. So yeah, we immediately started hanging out. I'm a snowboarder. She's a skier. So there was always that fun little competition of you know who could keep up with who. And we kind of pushed each other. It was great. We did some hiking that summer and talked her into going to Utah. And we, we had a lot of fun together. Lisa mentions this Utah camping trip in her essay. For reasons that will become apparent, it's a trip that Lisa often turns around in her mind. And, and so you planned the trip to Southern Utah to, to go hiking together. How did that come up? I had seen pictures of Southern Utah, of Arches and Bryce. And, and I thought, oh, I, I got to go there. I just, this is moving to the top of my bucket list. I got to go there. I grabbed a book really quick out of the library, had no idea what it was about. And it was Edward Abbey's Desert Solitaire. And it's all about where I wanted to go. And I thought, wow, that's a sign. <laughs> if I'm reading this book and I'm telling Sarah all about it, I bought her the book. I gave it to her. I said, you got to read this. this is, we were both interested in writing. And she was always so supportive of my writing and encouraging me to put it out there and different stories I'd tell. She, oh, you got to write that. Sarah was the planner, you know. I had decided within, I don't know what it was, like a few days, hey, let's go to Southern Utah. You have time before your work starts. It was about the middle of October, I believe. And work didn't start until I think it was early November for her, like maybe first or second week in November. Since moving from the East Coast, Sarah worked at a ski resort near Tahoe. We've got to go. We've got my boyfriend's truck with the camper. You know, I explained how two people can travel so much cheaper because one of her excuses was that she couldn't afford. I said, you can't afford not to right now because I'm going to pay for half the gas and, you know, we, we can go super cheap. And so she immediately, she wouldn't say yes, she would go, but she was staying here with me and she got on her computer and started researching like different places. And she'd come up with reasons why we couldn't go. We don't have reservations at any of the campgrounds, you know, like Zion and stuff. So what? Let's go. We'll sleep on the side of the road if we have to, you know. <laughs> it doesn't really take that long, about a day, because she was here and I just kept pounding her. And then, you know, like I said in the story, I, I told her, what happens if we die tomorrow? You know, it was just, you don't, you don't truly think that's going to happen. You use that, you know, as, as like a good reason to do things. Mm. Do you think that was part of her, her philosophy at all? No, no. I, I don't. I don't think so. I think um, 
she was trying to appease me more than anything. <laughs> yeah. So would you say that's part of your your thinking then, where you brought it up? Constantly. I, I justify so many things that I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, you wrote in that in that essay that Sarah lived in a much better world than than you do, where nothing bad ever happens. What, what made you write that? We came from very different backgrounds. When you're hiking and spending days on the trail with somebody and, you know, long nights in a tent, you talk about everything, you know, you share, you share everything. And you know, she, she had a wonderful childhood and didn't experience this. Not that I had an awful childhood, you know, I had a, a, a good childhood, but I was raised in a rougher neighborhood. <laughs> I was raised in, a, in Hayward, California, the neighborhood we were in, we lived next door to a store, a, a little liquor store. Our fence bordered the parking lot, and it was very sketchy. People be doing drugs and drinking and try to break into our house or break into my dad's truck. And I can remember just middle of the night waking up and him going outside and you know running off bad guys. And not that it was awful. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I mean, those are all we tend to remember the bad things stick with us. Yeah. You had a greater sense possibility. of possibility. <laughs> safety. And yeah, possibility and like needing to arm yourself against danger. It was a good thing because she convinced me a lot of times, especially being writing, I I did a lot of fiction stuff. So my I know my brain does tend to create certain scenarios that aren't even close to reality sometimes. And she kind of helped really balance that out. Yeah, she I think we were just a good combination where I thought, you know, you're crazy for hiking alone without taking something, you know, when I went on the Lost Coast, I took a gun. And I was so thankful that I did. I, I mean, I don't recommend it for everybody. That's just my personal choice. It gave me a sense of security, whether false or not. I don't know. But it, you know, I ran into three sketchy dudes. I'm out there by myself. And I thought, you know what, I have this not that I ever plan on using it, but just sleep a little better. <laughs> when Lisa says, quote, something, she meant some form of protection, be it a gun, bear spray, whistle. Everybody has their personal risk level. For some people, hucking a cliff, oh, that was no big deal. And her level of risk, for example, when her and I, that first year, I knew Kirkwood pretty well. My kids were raised snowboarding there, and, and I've snowboarded around there a lot, so I'm pretty familiar with that mountain. Then I showed her some places and took her some places that she goes, oh, my God, I never would have done that by myself, and took her through some shoots and some challenging, I would say, places, and she had a blast. I think, too, for her to move out here, away from her family, and and she had been in a relationship for quite a long time, helped raise this gentlemen's kids and stuff like that and she was a stepmom and I think that was that was huge for her that was her big risk stepping out of her comfort zone and moving out here you're you're so right to say that risk is relative oh for sure I surf I'm not a good surfer at all but I love it and I'll go out places I, I can remember in Hawaii I found this place uh called rock quarries and there's nobody out there and the waves weren't that great maybe two to three foot and pretty windblown. But I had a blast out there. And to me, that level of stoke and that risk 
oh, it just, I mean, it was huge, you know, for me. Whereas most people that surf that are even decent would be like, oh, I'm not even going to bother paddling out. He said, it's all relative. It is all relative. Could you tell me the story of getting lost in, in Utah on that trip? Man, that was probably the maddest I've ever been, Sarah. But I tried really hard to not let it show because, you know, I didn't want to ruin our, our trip. Oh, I think we'd already been there maybe a little over a week around southern Utah hiking. And we were going to camp out at this place called Devil's Pocket. We had a map, not a great map, but just one that you get from the visitor center. And we had visited with the, the lady there who explained to us exactly where to go. And we thought we knew right where we were going. But the way that that area was, it's it's really open with just, I mean, as far as you can see, there's this giant not a slot canyon, but the best way to describe it is just miles of this solid rock wall. And for some reason, we got off the main trail or something. And when I asked for, I said, this doesn't feel right. And I have a poor sense of direction. So I put a lot of responsibility on Sarah. I explained to her, hey, you've done more hiking than me and you've got a better sense of direction. So, you know, I'm just letting you know. You're the navigator of this trip, which she was totally cool with. Well, it felt really wrong to me that we were going the wrong direction. And I said, you know, let me see the map. And she had lost it. And I said, you lost the map. When did you lose the map? (laughs) Why did you say something? I would have went back and looked for it or, you know, something. We didn't have GPS on our phone. We didn't have any of that. You know, we thought this was pretty simple, straightforward hike. You know, we didn't really think it through too much. And... She goes, yeah, it's no big deal. I lost the map when I hiked the Tahoe Rim Trail, and it was no big deal. And she goes, I only got off trail like a couple times because I started quizzing her about losing the map on the Tahoe Rim Trail because I had gotten off trail a few times when the trail was covered with snow. And anyway, I just thought, what should we do? Like, here we are. We're taking, we're, we're kind of in this a few hours. So what should we do? And she's like, oh, I'm sure we're going the right way. And I said, if we keep going, we're going to end up on the wrong side of this wall. And then I'm not sure how to get back to the trailhead. Yeah, she just was like, well, it's not like we're going to get lost out here. They found their way back. But after weeks of one-on-one time, the difference in attitude graded on Lisa. That night, she vented in her journal. The exact words were, Sarah is so overconfident, she's going to get herself into trouble one of these days. Just a vent. We all vent. But it's a page that Lisa returns to when she's looking for answers. The two friends complimented each other, but when Lisa returned home, she reflected on how important it is to be self-reliant, even when hiking with a partner. I'm sure we both, to a degree thought about it. it. It wasn't important for me to prove my point. It just, I'll tell you what, here's what I got out of it. And I told my boyfriend when I got home, I said, you know, I have a better sense of direction than I thought I did because I was right. And knew we were going the wrong way. And I need to take more responsibility for myself. And it wasn't fair to put that on Sarah. And that's really was a valuable lesson for me to learn is that I need to be responsible for my own safety. More of their story after a word from our sponsor, Oruk Kayak. The folks at Oruk Kayak believe that connecting to nature is a deep human need, even for those of us who live in cities. 
I chatted with photographer Gretchen Powers about her upcoming kayak trip in the Adirondacks with her mom. So packing right now, and it's a little crazy in that I've never done something like this before. My mom and I are going to go on a kayak camping trip in the Saranac Lake region, Adirondack region of upstate New York. We used to every summer go backpacking in that area, and I went there on a canoe camping trip in college, and I've just been dying to go back ever since. So our schedules are finally aligning for that to happen, and we're going to do two nights on this island called Norway Island. It's the first time we've gone on a camping trip since, like, I would say before I was in college. So it's been a way overdue, and I'm really, really excited for it. Bond on the water in a beautiful, foldable Oru kayak. Learn more at www.orukayak.com. That's www.orukayak.com. The first time I met Sarah, she talked about Lebanon and her grandfather was from there. And the day that Sarah came off the John Muir Trail, a year earlier, I think, from when I met her, her father had passed away the day she came off the trail. And it always bothered her that her father had always talked about Lebanon, wanted to go there and never got there. So for her, it was kind of, um, you know, a tribute to her father to go to Lebanon you know, and, and so for years she wanted to go and she had finally booked a trip. It was not this winter that just passed the winter before that 2016. She called me and she had booked a trip with a Lebanon mountain trail to hike the Lebanon mountain trail, which is a 200, I think it's almost a 300 mile trek. And so her plan was to go with this group and she took her father's ashes and she was going to scatter them in Lebanon along the trail, which she did. So she hiked the entire trail and spread her father's ashes. And along the way, you go through these villages. And so she knew she had relatives there. And the guide helped her to try to find some relatives. She was sending me pictures and messages. We were communicating through WhatsApp. Well, you know, whenever she got a signal, she hadn't had any luck finding any family, but she she loved it. You know, she said she felt such a connection with the people and the country and she loved the food and she just embraced the whole experience. And that was Sarah. I mean, she found the good in everything, um, no matter what, even though I had never met her father. I mean, I could just tell it meant so much to her to be able to do that. And she wore her father's hat the whole hike. When she sent her, she had his old hat on and, you know, it was just, you could understand what it meant to her. And and the people that she met, I read afterwards, you know, that just she affected everybody in such a positive way. You know, she just brought so much love and happiness into that group. She sounds like a, a wonderful person. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. You know, she just, even though we'd only known each other for a few years, I mean, I just feel like so blessed that I met her and I think of her at the most random times. What types of times? Um, sorry. No, oh no, it's okay. Just, um, I'll be driving to Tahoe and I'll see, a, she had a Nissan Pathfinder and I'll see one and I'll think, oh my God, you know, is that Sarah? For a moment, I'll forget. Um, there's things I want to tell her. Um, 
you know, and you think most of the time you're okay with it and you can talk about it. And then you just realize that you really miss that person and that you'll never get to talk to them again. And you'll never get to share those experiences again. But I feel super, super fortunate that, um, that I got to do those things with her. It, it sounds like she was a really great partner for you. She was perfect. I mean, like I said, we were complete opposites. <laughs> yeah. It can be hard to find people like that, you know, to that you can travel with and that you can hike with and that balance you out in that way. Yeah. And fight with and not be offended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I have a lot of other friends, but there's certain ones that, you know, you can disagree and still respect each other, you know, and not be offended and judgmental about each other. You can still appreciate your differences. That always, would people describe friends like that? I, it always makes me think of family or sisters because, like, I have a twin sister and I love traveling with her because we we can fight and we know it's okay. Like, you know, like, nothing's going to be a total deal breaker in our relationship. Right. She's not going to get pissed off and say, take me home. I never want to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The nice thing is that you're able to have that release to then. Like if you can react, then you're not just like holding it all in and feeling resentful. Exactly. That's exactly right. You know, and I, I learned that too by that trip to Utah and just venting in my journal. You know, that's because Sarah and I had hiked a lot together and, and camped together. But that was a long trip. We were three weeks, I think, to spend with anybody. <laughs> it's so memorable to me you know um, I can embrace those shitty times <laughs> excuse my language but that's part of it if it was perfect it would have been totally boring yeah so so are you comfortable to keep talking about Sarah yeah I'm sorry like I said I, I haven't been very emotional about it and I've this morning before you call I kind of like was looking through the pictures of her and stuff and actually I'm at my desk and I have a bunch of different pictures hanging in my window and I have this one picture glaring at me of her and I standing there at uh, Bryce over this huge canyon you know giving each other the bunny ears and messing around and it just mm. I guess it just kind of brings it all in my face yeah but no, I'm comfortable and I'm sorry. You know, like I said, I didn't expect to be emotional, but. Oh, don't, don't apologize. There's no reason to feel sorry about it. I just wanted to check in. Oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I think it's important. Like I said, and, and Sarah, she would be stoked. Yeah. So when you, you were at home and you were hearing from her, were you concerned when you stopped hearing from her? Yeah, I was briefly, but <laughs> I justified it as she's probably out of range somewhere and who knows where she's at or what she's doing. Knowing her, she might have lo lost her cell phone. <laughs> was definitely possible or, you know, dropped it in the river. So I just, I thought, you know, I'll hear from her. I wasn't to the point of serious worry. You know how when you start to worry, you first get a little seed of worry and then you'll be like, You'll explain it away. 
And I was still explaining it away. And then I was pretty darn close to going, hmm, I'm, when I hadn't heard for a week. That's why when I got home and I opened my laptop and I pulled up my emails, the first one was from her. I went, oh, right on. You know, it was just this huge sense of relief. And then to read it immediately, it was from her sister who explained, you know, this is Sarah's sister and Sarah had had a fall. And I just thought, oh, she's in the hospital in Lebanon. You know, how long is that going to take? I thought she broke her leg or something. Everybody says that when they lose somebody unexpectedly, how shocking it is. But the physical, the physical shock, is <laughs> it, it, it truly is. It's just like crazy. You just think, what? For me, I was, is this just somebody messing around? Who is this? What, you know, I just, a million thoughts ran through my head, like, but no way. And then I just felt like it was gut punched. Just, oh my God, it hurt your heart, everything. And I'm sure everybody that's lost somebody like tragically, it's just, you know, then immediately you're like, no, what happened? You know, I want more information. Unfortunately, Lisa wasn't able to find out any more information. So Lisa still has questions about her dear friend. Like, did she fall or was she pushed? How long was she by herself out there? What could she have done? So I guess on that, you know, on that note, you're kind of looking for answers, trying to come up with a story for for what happened to your close friend. Can you explain how you started researching or coming in contact with the overconfidence effect? Yeah, so in writing the story, you know, and, and thinking about what had happened, our experiences together, my time with Sarah, and especially her decisions and how she justified them. And then based on my decisions, how I always thought the worst could happen and, and go with that. And, and she'd tell me, you know, oh, you're being negative. And I thought, well, you know, I guess maybe I am. And cause I respected Sarah and I, I valued her opinion. And I thought, so in writing the story and writing what I had written in my journal, that the exact words were, Sarah is so overconfident. She's going to get herself into trouble one of these days. And that just kept, you know, it was just like in my mind, I might have just Googled overconfidence or something like that because I have taken a psychology class, but we didn't get into to too much um, detail. Somehow, you know, just, just searching through the internet, I found this overconfidence effect and I didn't think it was a thing, the effect of it. Well, then I started reading more and more about the psychology of it and how it works and how that whole, the overconfidence effect, basically almost everybody is affected by it. We think we can do more or we know more than we actually do. And I thought, my God, you know, who doesn't do that? I do that. <laughs> you know, before losing Sarah, I would have never reconsidered my John Muir hike. I wouldn't even have probably checked conditions. I probably just would have went and thought, oh, I can do that, you know, based on my previous experience and judging what I think I know. But you don't think you know it. In your mind, you know you know it. But most of the time, you're incorrect. Basically, the confidence that you have is amplified by those past experiences of things going well. Exactly. That's, that's exactly it. You know, you can take that to any level. From not wearing your seatbelt because you never you never got hit before and went through the windshield to 
you can take it to the highest level of, you know, well, I've ridden this avalanche terrain before, nothing's ever happened. Just like me surfing in the central coast and having shark warning signs on the beach and a sheriff telling me there's been a 14 foot great white, you know, for a week. And I thought, well, I surf here before and I've surfed all time and there's always sharks in the water and I'm going and one of the dumbest things I've ever done, you know, and I went out anyways. And I thought, what am I doing? Overconfidence, the effect is based on speculation, but we don't realize that. We think we're making those decisions based off facts and it's not. We're speculating. So it's made me really just consider the possibilities. And I think that's the main thing I hope that people will take away from this is confidence is a great thing. Once you've done something and, and become confidence in whatever area it is, if you just at least stop and consider all the possibilities from the most pessimistic to think worst case scenario, what could happen here? And make a decision based off, okay, I can do this if I make a few changes. Maybe those few changes will make the difference. Whether something happens, you're injured, killed, who knows what, you know, lost, anything. So you decided to through hike the JMT this summer because you've always wanted to do it. You had to push it back because of snowy conditions earlier this summer. What kind of questions did you ask yourself in making the decision to to take that solo hike? Well, in trying to you know make the decision, I was back and forth because of Sarah. We had originally planned to do it together last year before she passed away, and she had done it, so I was really confident that she'd take care of me again. You know, there was a part of me that wanted to do it for her, and then there was a part of me that thought, no, I could easily just misstep and fall and die. I had spoke to several different people that have done it, and it was just, it was so contradictive that it didn't really help in my decision-making process. Before I met Sarah, I wanted to do it, and I think if I'm prepared and think of the worst-case scenario, <laughs> I could get lost. Okay, what can I do to prevent getting lost? So I got a great map. I also got an app on my phone that hopefully will work that I've been practicing with <laughs> that doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence, but I will, I will continue to work with it. I will, um, there'll be plenty of people on the trail, I'm assuming. So at least keep in contact with, with people, if not join up at certain places and hike with different people. And, you know, usually if you do any type of through hikes, you always make friends and, and, um, click with people and, usually you're welcome to hike together or at least kind of what I've found in the past is you'll pass each other. You'll take turns passing each other and or just sit down and have a visit. And so at least people know that you're where you're at. I also thought, okay, what happens if I fall you know, off the trail? Because I know that people have fallen off the trail there and passed away. That's a chance I can take. I, I will try to be conscious in my steps and my, you know, decision-making process, crossing the snow, crossing the streams and rivers, I will try to eliminate as many unsafe crossings uh, of snow and water that I can. Also, I bought a spot, which Sarah didn't have. So if something happens, you know, I do have the spot, but I know it's not going to keep me 100% safe. It's just another tool. My kit of trying to be safe. And that's 
you know, that's about it. Just basically the water crossings, the snow, the falling and the getting lost. Those are my concerns. So I try to eliminate or at least you can't eliminate them. All you can do is try to become better prepared. Yeah. So how do you kind of reconcile the the feeling or the knowledge that there are there are complete unknowns like there are things that you probably can't prepare for how how do you come to terms with that and why do you hike anyway well I think that that's part of the adventure of anything we do is the unknown you you can't prepare for it and that's what kind of makes it interesting just the experience for me is worth the risk I've met amazing people like Sarah if I wasn't out there solo hiking, if she wasn't out there solo hiking, when you're with somebody, you tend to say, hey, hi, and pass each other. You don't usually stop to visit unless you're by yourself because usually you, know, you think, oh, maybe the other person wants to keep going. Or And uh, to me, the experience and seeing amazing sunrises or sunsets or you know, just just being out there and learning how to take care of yourself and having everything that I need to survive on my back gives me this sense of maybe false <laughs> confidence. Just it's pretty fulfilling and, and it you know just feels good when you're exhausted and you lay down, you feel like you can't take another step. Even though you're so like your back hurts, your hips hurt, your feet hurt, everything hurts. And you're like, this is so miserable. Why am I doing this? I want to go home and be in my bed and take a shower. And I stink so bad. I'm grossing myself out. But there's something about that that to me, those experiences give you confidence that, okay, if I can do this, I can apply for that job and not be nervous about it. I can write this story and put it out there. I can, I can make a film and, you know, I don't care if it's not a huge hit. I'm doing this because it matters. And just those, those little personal conquests, I guess, really help build your confidence. Would you recommend that others solo hike or solo backpack? Um, of course I would recommend it, but that is such a personal preference. I have friends who you couldn't get to go out and spend the night in a tent by themselves if you offered them a million dollars. But maybe if you push yourself outside that comfort level, start on a small scale. You know, don't find yourself out on the lost coast in a tent with bears going, holy crap, I'm really uncomfortable here because it, it, it's unnerving for sure. But maybe just start somewhere close to home or a friend's place that's kind of out there by yourself or in your backyard if you have a yard. I don't know. Just try like to build up and see how you feel about it. But being by yourself out in the middle of nowhere, I think, is really a huge confidence boost that, hey, I can do this. If I can do this, I can do that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Like one could draw a lot of lessons from you know, your experience with your good friend and, and losing her. And I, I really appreciate that your your conclusion is that you learned a lot of lessons and lessons that you want to share with other people and that it doesn't you don't want to stop completely doing what makes you happy and what you love, but you want to do it in a very considered way. And I think that that's really important for others to hear. Yeah, you got it. That's that's exactly my hope for me. I know me and I know that 
judging this year, the, the John Muir Trail and the this really sorry conditions <laughs> that are out there this year and people getting lost and drowning and, you know, the, the snow over the passes. If what happened to Sarah and me not learning about this overconfidence thing and our decision-making process, I would have just went. I know I would have just went. I wouldn't even have thought about it because I thought the time is good for me. It works into my schedule and I don't care if there's snow. I've crossed snow before and I know how to cross creeks. I know what I'm doing. Well, no, I don't because a lot can happen and go wrong, you know? So, you know, I don't know, but it's definitely, I think, made a change in my life for the better. Yeah, I'm sure your friends would be happy to hear that too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My kids and my boyfriend, yeah, they're like... I, I paddleboarded around Lake Tahoe a couple years ago by myself. I did a solo through paddle of Lake Tahoe in the fall and just kind of camped along the night. And, oh, my God, everybody was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You know, my boyfriend wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> that was so stupid. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be careful. I'm not if it gets sketchy, if it starts lightning, I'll get off the lake. You know, I'm not. And it was the coolest, one of the coolest things I've ever done. I would never trade that experience. You have to put yourself out there, I think, or life gets really dull. Read Lisa's essay at she-explores.com slash podcast. I think Lisa summed up what she learned well. Confidence is a quadruple-edged sword. There is no magic tipping point of being too confident or not confident enough. You can only learn about your own personal limits in anything you set out to do by trying. No, solo hiking isn't for everyone, but it's also not not for everyone. And maybe it's naive for me to think so, but I think that if you carry the people you love with you always, you'll never hike alone. If you enjoy this podcast, rate She Explores on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. And if you like this show, you'll probably enjoy our sister show, Women on the Road, hosted by Laura Hughes. A new episode comes out on Friday, and it's all about building out your perfect adventure mobile. Big thanks to our sponsor, Oru Kayak. Music is by Kay Engel, Broke for Free, Evan Schaefer, Soft and Furious, and Josh Woodward. Until next week.